Well, tonight I want to start off with the story of when I got glasses for the first time. Caitlin already knows this story, obviously, but you know this story. I'm going to say it, and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, so I was fortunate enough to make it through my teen years and into my 20s without needing glasses. Um, and there was a time um, uh, in my life where... where um, you know, I couldn't, I started not to being able to read things as well, and, um, I didn't think it was because I couldn't see, I just thought, like, it's just how I normally was, and that, that's how 2020 people saw. Um, Caitlin obviously knew better, because she has glasses that take her to 2020, so she knows better than I do, um, and, um, I just kind of brushed it off, let it, let it go to the side, and, you know, I even thought, like, my eyesight might be slipping a little bit, but it's not, it's not too bad yet. Um, I'm, I'm okay. And so before I came, became, or came on staff here, I was a youth pastor in Connorsville, Indiana, at a church for a couple of years. And actually, towards the end of my time there, um, I was on, on stage one morning um, speaking in front of the people. And often what I would do is I wouldn't have, like, a bunch of notes in front of me. I would have, like, read this scripture, and sometimes I would use a different translation than the Bible there, and they would have a TV in the back where you'd be able to read, like, the scripture of the translation you wanted, and I looked back at the TV and thought, oh, crap, <laughs> I can't read that. <laughs> That's blurry. Um, so I squinted as hard as I could barely was able to make out what the words were, and then decided in that moment, I'm just going to read from the Bible I have on here, and <laughs> nothing else. And then um, immediately after that, almost immediately, I set up an eye doctor appointment, because I knew in that moment, like, yeah, I need glasses <laughs> very badly. And um, it was crazy to me, when I got these glasses, it was like, I, I didn't realize that what the difference would be. It's like, oh, you know, it's just going to fix a little bit. It's not going to be that big of a deal. I, I you know, it was like a, like a crazy light-up moment where I went like that. I was just like, oh, my goodness. Like, I can actually see things <laughs> that I wouldn't be able to see before. Like, this is, this is crazy. And it was almost like experiencing a, a new sight. And, and ever since that moment, I've hardly ever forgotten my glasses. If, if I forget my glasses, like, I almost know immediately and, and either turn around in the car or, or I'll even say something to Caitlin, like, yep, I forgot my glasses, I can tell. <laughs> and, um, like, since experiencing this, you know, quote-unquote new sight, it's just been made such a difference where I haven't wanted to, to take them off or, you know, do things with, without them um, because that, that sight is there. And so tonight... We're trekking on in our Miracles of Jesus study by looking at um, the, the next one in week six. Crazy to think this is already week six um, in the series where we're going to look at the healing that Jesus does of a blind man. And um, I want to nerd out a little bit. So I usually don't try to do this, but this is something that I think um, can help us specifically as we read chapters five through ten in the book of John, and I think they help w frame out the miracles more with, like, the language Jesus uses in these miracles, 
and um, something that, that, like, I've specifically learned over the past, like, I guess you'd say six months. So there is, in John 5 through 10, something that's called a festival cycle framework, where Jesus relates himself um, through teaching um, and, and miracles to these specific purposes. And so I should have a little, little graphic here where it's like four, it's like four boxes. Yes. So four Jewish feasts, feasts um, and they all apply like, you know, the miracle that happens apply and teachings coincide with, with the, uh, the, the festival. And so in John chapter five, we see um, a Sabbath thing there. And so if you read John five, you might notice that like it doesn't say Sabbath specifically, but Sabbath is referenced there a bunch of times. So, so I mean, um, biblical scholars think that the, the festival there is, is Sabbath. But um, in that miracle, does anybody remember the miracle that happened in John 5? Hannah w- taught on it. Yeah, yes, the healing of the, at the pool, the man who was paralyzed for 38 years. And this, this uh, um, miracle happened that Jesus did, happened on the, the Sabbath. And, you know, religious leaders expressing their quarrels at him for healing on the Sabbath, and Jesus says, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So Jesus is making himself equal to God because, you know, he, he is God in the flesh, and so the religious leaders begin to plot to, to kill Jesus, and so he, you know, heals on the Sabbath, and um, all of the quarrels and things that happen on there is, is about the Sabbath. And so that's like John 5. In John 6, we see that the second festival talked about um, is actually in week 4 and 5. Does anybody remember those two miracles there? Feeding the 5,000, yes. The second one, Hannah talked about it last week. Someone said it, I don't know who. Bailey said it again. Yes, good job. Walking on water. <laughs> so yeah, um, after these two claims, uh, Jesus says that, that he is the bread of life, or after these two miracles, sorry, Jesus claims that he is the bread of life, which goes perfectly with Passover. So this is about the festival um, of Passover. And so it goes perfectly with it because it was a reminder, the Exodus story of the lamb and the bread and the wine and how the people would, would avoid death um, by putting the blood of the lamb. Um, Israelites would avoid death by putting the blood of the lamb over their door frames. Um, and so it was a metaphor, this specifically with the, the bread of life and drinking of his blood um, which is crazy language to us, maybe, but he was a reference to that and making a metaphor of eating his body and drinking his blood to be that Passover, that sacrifice, um, you know, that would pass over for us into eternity with him. Um, so I think that's amazing, and you think about the miracles with the bread there, and then like Jesus passing over the water, um, you know, that, that there I think is really cool. Um, then we see John 7 through 10, 21, 
Um, we get stories and miracles that relate to the festival of tabernacles and booths, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. But the festival of tabernacles was a recounting of the wilderness wanderings, the Israelites, where God guided them by the pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. And so he also provided water for them in the desert. And in these, these chapters, Jesus references a lot about like being the light of the world. He says that multiple times. Um, and many times his encounters and teachings purposely reveal that truth like we're going to see tonight. And so lastly, in this festival cycle, you might see Hanukkah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so one really cool thing is like festival of dedication is actually Hanukkah that you read about in John 10. And so that might be like a little mind blower, like what? And to me, that was, I was like, what? Are you serious? That's, like, amazing. And so if you don't know about Hanukkah, like, that's, that's when Judas Maccabees cleared the temple of idols and set it apart as holy once more. And so in John 10, 34 through 39, Jesus says that he is set apart as the holy one and that he is the true temple where God's presence dwells. And so, you know, you might wonder, like, what does this message have to do tonight? Um, like, what, what all, does all this festival cycle stuff have to do? And, and my hope is that we know is, like, when John wrote his letter, his gospel about the, the life of Jesus, it wasn't just something he wrote down. Like, it was so purposeful that, that rhythms and things like this exist in his letter because it was so beautifully crafted to honor Jesus, to honor the life he lived, um, so that people could recognize things like this and see how amazing Jesus is, how real he is, and how purposeful he is. He's not just some guy who lived, but he, he's some guy that brought beauty and life and creation into the world. And so places like, things like this exist in scripture to bring that truth out more, to, to be able to teach better, people a little bit easier to have illustrations to look at. And so um, I think that's cool that's, that's in there. And I hope maybe, you know, as we read this week, um, if you're on version in the notes there at the bottom, there's, there's like a, a reading plan that talks about like the miracles of Jesus. And like, I hope as we read those, we can think in this framework of like, oh yeah, yeah, that's like this festival where, where you know, the, the Israelites would have been, been following the pillar of fire in, at night and the, the cloud by day and, like, th be thinking of those things, which is what the people at the time hearing this letter would have been thinking about, too. And so, to me, that is just amazing and brings the truth out of who Jesus is more as a whole. So, tonight, like I said before, we're going to look at the man born blind, which happened in which festival? John 9. Tabernacles, yes. Yes, exactly. Thank you. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the first 12 verses. So healing the man born blind. As he, talking about Jesus, passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. 
his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither that his, this man or his parents have sinned, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and applied the clay to his eyes, and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated as sent. So he went away and washed and came back seen. Therefore the neighbors and those previously who saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? And others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I, And I, I don't know. So, um, yeah. I wish we could honestly do all of chapter 9, because it's such a beautiful chapter. Um, but I also think you guys need to get some sleep tonight, so that's not happening. Um, so in, in this miracle, um, we see Jesus and his disciples are walking, and they come to this man, um, and, and the disciples are like, you know, what's, what, what happened? Like, is, did this guy sin, or did his, his parents sin? Um, because oftentimes in that culture, um, the Jews believe that, that um, you know, if someone was suffering from something like that, it was because of a sin either they had, you know, caught or did, or their, their parents had done. And Jesus is, is answering them like, no, this, this didn't happen um, because, because of those things, but because God's work is going to be displayed. And he goes on to tell them that while he is in the world, that he is the light of the world. Remember what feast is in chapter 7 through 12, 7 through 10, sorry? Fa yes, tabernacle, correct. And so the festival of tabernacles or booths that honors the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites and God as their guide um, in the, you know, cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. And so simil similarly, Jesus when he's with the disciples, is their pillar of fire, pillar of fire to guide them, just as he is with us today. So because of Jesus being the light of the world, like, you, you know what he does? He gives light to this man. He gives him a restored life. He packs mud by using dirt and saliva, and some of us might think that's gross. And, like, honestly, yeah, that, that is pretty gross. Um, but, but he does that and tells the man, like, go to the pool of Siloam, which is, you know, probably like a few feet away. And he goes, washes that mud off, and he can see again. Like, if I'm in a spot where, you know, I've probably been begging my whole life, I want to be so desperate. Like, I, I don't care what someone does to me. If it's going to potentially give me sight and a life where, you know, I can actually go out and work and make a living, like, go on and do it. <laughs> You know, if I'm in the, this man's spot. Um, but afterwards, people were confused and questioned, like, was this man really blind, or was he, you know, was he pulling our leg these 45 years, being blind, you know? Um, 
Others thought it was someone who potentially looked like him. After he told them it was Jesus who gave them sight, like, people really wanted to see Jesus. They're like, you know, who is this guy? Who, who is this man who healed you, who brought you, you know, like, new sight where you can see for the first time? And so I, I think that's awesome how, how, like, Jesus brought light to this man. He just doesn't just hold it back, but, but he, he shares that light as well with his friends. And so in hearing all this, like, what, what do we do with this sign of the Messiah? And the first thing that I think we do is we are all dealt a deck of cards, so play the game. You know, think about it. Like, what, what cards in this life have you been dealt so far? Some may be good, some may be not so good. In this man's case, he was blind. And it wasn't his fault or parents' fault, but it was to, to eventually show the glory and light of Jesus. His testimony would go on to turn heads. And so let's table that for now because that's going to be talked about later as well. I don't want to get into it right right yet. Um, but, um, like, we all have a set of cards that God wants us to play. And he doesn't cause, like, you know, you know all, all the, the darknesses that happen in our world, but he uses them for his good, kind of like that Joseph thing um, in, in the later parts of Genesis and how his brothers had sold him into slavery and tried to make bad things happen to him, and they end up meeting him, you know, years later when he's second-hand man of Pharaoh, said, like, you know, what you did, you meant for evil, but God ended up meaning it for good. And so it's the same thing with us today. And so um, I would say, like, this man's hand, as he grew up, just kept getting, like, garbage hand after garbage hand. And if you've ever played, you know, poker with your friends before, and you know, like, sometimes that happens. Like, you just don't always get a good hand <laughs> some nights. Um, um, and, um, but every now and then, you get a royal flush. And if, if, you, if you know cards very well, you know, like, that, that's, a, that's the best hand in poker. That's like, literally the best thing that you can get. <laughs> um, and, and if you don't know this hand, it's when you get a 10-jack, queen, king, and ace, all in the same suit. And so I think, yeah, yeah, so that, that's what it looks like, royal flush. And so if you're wondering, there's only a point zero 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 one five percent chance that you would get this. Very, very rare. If you drew 20 hands um, a night for, you know, a year, that would be 7,300 hands per year. In 89 years, you would expect to see this hand once. So like, it's that rare, that hard to get. And so um, I see this man looking at his life, you know, like, and thinking of it like a hand of poker, like, man, I got nothing again. Year after year, card after card, until he draws, you know, a hand, this hand, this royal flesh, which is his encounter with Jesus, and it lit him up. You know, not every day do you run into the Messiah. The person who stopped to actually talk to him was the Savior of the world, the one who could transform his life, 
The person who stopped was Jesus. And what's the blind man do? He plays his flesh and lets Jesus put the mud on his eyes. He doesn't say, you're crazy, man. <laughs> like, no, I don't want mud on my eyes. Or like, you put mud on, on his eyes and think like, what's, what's this going to do? You know, he doesn't do that. He listens to Jesus, which is the second thing. The guy could have thought Jesus was weird and gross. You know, I, I would have thought he was weird and gross by putting mud on my eyes and telling me to, you know, go do something about it. Um, but this guy had been blind and on his own begging for a long time. So that's why I think, like I said it earlier, like when you're in a desperate spot, if you're in this man's spot, you'll do anything and if you remember in week three, we looked at the man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And day after day by the pool, he was hoping to one day enter that pool when the waters were stirred. He had that false hope day after day until he met Jesus. He was desperate and thought Jesus would be the man to take him to the waters. But instead, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. And what happens here? Jesus puts mud on the blind man's eyes and tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And it's, to me, it's, it's kind of funny because <laughs> I, I kind of wonder if like one of the disciples was like, you know, it'd be funny if we tell this man to go wash his eyes in the water and then just leave. Because he, he doesn't see Jesus whenever he comes back. Like, he doesn't see the group of people. So I, I kind of slightly wonder that, you know. Um, but that's just my own thinking. Like, like what, what if they'd said that, you know. Um, but anyways, the man goes and washes, and he gets to see again. And, and that wouldn't have happened unless he listened to Jesus. He wouldn't have had the opportunity in, unless, like he does, he... He, he, he goes and washes in the water and comes out seeing. And so sometimes, you know, we've dealt these, these hands, and sometimes we think we have a good hand, and we get a four of clubs, and it's like, God, what? Like, these things seem to be lining up really well in my life. This really seemed to be the direction that you were taking me in. And then it's like, are you sure? This is what's happening? I think Jesus says often to us, like, just wait and watch. When the time comes, then you go. Then you play that card. And so the time came for this man to have his sight restored. He didn't just stay where he was. He got up, walked to the waters, washed, washed his, the mud that was in his eyes, and came out seeing he's calling us to do the same thing with a lot of things in our lives he's calling us by putting mud in our eyes to go to the pool wash off come off seeing with the ways that he wants us to see so after that moment after that washing off of the mud we need to be the light of the world 
Do you remember why Jesus saved this man? It's to reveal the works of the Father. They to display that he is the light of the world. The light of the world is who saved this man. How cool is that? And because of that, like, it lit this man up. People confused, you know, thought this guy was, a, like, like, a fake. You know, they thought, like, I don't know how you could think he was a fake, but, you know, thinking he might have had a twin brother or doppelganger or whatever, thinking, like, this, this, this isn't real. This, this doesn't happen. But when people came around, they couldn't help but see the light that was coming from him. Like, I think it was such a difference in this, like, such a noticeable difference in this guy's life. Like, being in that spot that he was in, you're usually not very optimistic, being a blind beggar. You're, you're not very optimistic that things are going to change. But when it does, it literally life-changing. Completely brand new. And he uses that to go and help and change others as well. You know, we all have our valleys. And, and you know, I don't know what, what yours is specifically. It could be a physical thing. It could be a lost loved one, a breakup, you know, or uh, all the other darknesses in the world that we can think of that we're dealing with. It's possible that it's brought you so low that you feel like this blind beggar. Like, you feel like him. Like, you can relate to this guy. When you read, read it, it's like, yeah, that, that's me in this moment. That's me. The good news is Jesus doesn't leave you there. He doesn't just let you sit there in your darkness. If you let him be that light in your life, he'll turn your situation into a royal flush. You know, not everything is, is always gonna, gonna be like a complete 180 or the, you know, the healing that happens might not be the way that we think it should be. It's gonna be the way that, that Jesus needs it to be. And so things are gonna happen that in our lives that, that we don't wanna happen, but Jesus is gonna use them for his glory, for his love. Sometimes we're, we're in seasons so dark and we, we let Jesus into those moments. Let him put the mud on our eyes, go wash, and then come out seeing. We see in a new way, in a restored way. And I've often heard like, like teachers and pastors talk about this. Like oftentimes our lowest moments our hardest or our darkest moments become some of our best and deepest ministries. And what, why, why would that be? It's because we've been there. We understand what it's like to go through the death of a loved one. We understand what it's like to, to go through, you know, the, the, the physical pain that we might be enduring. We understand what it's like to to break up with someone that, that you were with for, for four to five years. We understand what it's like to, you know, be, be <laughs> you know, for example, like on top of the world and then one day you're just straight up fired from your job and not knowing what's gonna happen next. 
because we let Jesus speak in that moment, we know the way through the valley. Just how in Psalm 23 talks about, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. We can get through that valley with Jesus. We can get through it together. People will experience the light of Jesus because you are his light. We are his light. As we conclude tonight, I want to read these words that Matthew wrote in his gospel about Jesus. And it has to deal with us, and I see it as what Jesus would would have said to this blind man, like, you know, I don't know for sure, but I think these words apply so well with, with, with this message tonight as we end. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in he- who is in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for tonight. Thank you just for the opportunity it is to, to meet once again and dive through another sign um, of Jesus being the Messiah. And so Jesus, I pray as you were the light of the world, that we would be the light of the world. And you still are today um, the light of the world. So I pray, Jesus, that we would let your light transform us and that we would let that light beam through us to others as well. So thank you, Jesus, for the ways that you transform us. And I pray, Jesus, that, you know, maybe some of us are in some of the hardest moments that we've experienced, that we would let you put mud on our eyes. We would go wash and see with, with new eyes, see with new sight what, you're, what you're, you're doing in our lives, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.